Hey, what's up? Hey, friend, thanks for coming over tonight. It's a great night for a campfire. The fireflies are out in force this summer. They're so surreal, like God's little flying organic LEDs. Yeah, that's the bullfrogs down at the creek. They're out in force tonight after the nice summer shower we had today. I'm telling you, my friend, it's going to be a good one. Hey, you're listening to Quad Dot Rocks, God, the world, and other things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is podcast episode 144 of season 7. The title, The Imposter Revealed. Subtitle, A Call to Significant Self-Disclosure. If you have a YouTube account and you're logged in, its algorithms begin tracking you and will offer up viewing suggestions based on your viewing habits. I fell asleep one night watching an enjoyable show, and woke up to a prominent preacher I really don't enjoy. It was an offering from the YouTube AI department. As I came to consciousness, I began to focus on what I was hearing. Then, as I became fully awake, I looked at the computer screen to see who it was. Ugh. Every word he was saying was true. Every word he was saying I agreed with. His doctrine was orthodox and conservative. His sermon was on the Ten Commandments. He hit every proper position and talking point, that would please any person listening who is Bible-believing and a devout Christian. But there was just something about it that really bugged me. I thought to myself, if you want to know why our world is going through the floor right now to a great extent, it's because of preachers and people like him. Keep in mind, I'm not one to look for criticism and to be critical regarding people preaching the Bible. But his sermon was methodical and predictable. It was masterfully crafted for audience response. Obligatory humor with robust audience response that intentionally was positioned to lighten the impact of the serious nature of the discourse. He was so prepared for the response that he actually did a poor job of allowing full audience interaction because he was so itching to get to his next point or self-deprecating humor injected for connection and the appearance that, gosh, I'm really just like y'all. At one point in his career, he launched a book that strategically was intended clearly to thrust him into the vacuum left with another aging prominent evangelist leaving the scene. The book had all the markings of a political move in the same way that politicians strategically launched their tome to establish their identity as a candidate. I've wondered for a long time, why do I dislike this guy so much? It really is not in my personality to feel this type of disdain towards someone who is quote-unquote, preaching the gospel. I finally received an answer to that question in Brennan Manning's book, Abba's Child, The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. Let me warn you right up front, Manning has some interesting things to say, but I would caution you to not run out and buy or read all or any of his books. I became solely interested in this particular book for some specific reasons, which are not necessary to discuss in this particular podcast. Manning was a prolific writer, perhaps at times too mystical for my taste, some theologians even classifying him as a heretic, but his transformation and strong interest in the contemplative life hits a chord within my own soul. So I read this book with caution. The back of the cover reads, Is an imposter robbing you of God's love? We've bought into the lie that we are worthy of God's love only when our lives are going well. If our families are happy or our jobs are meaningful, life is a success. But when life begins to fall through the cracks and embarrassing sins threaten to reveal our less than perfect identity, we scramble to keep up a good front to present to the world and to God. 
We hide until we rearrange the mask of perfection. Sadly, it is then that we wonder why we lack intimate relationships and passionate faith. All this time, God is calling us to take the mask off and come openly to Him. He longs for us to know in the depth of our being that He loves us and accepts us as we are. When we are our true selves, we can finally claim our identity as God's child, Abba's child, and experience His pure pleasure in who we are. Brendan Manning encourages us to let go of the imposter lifestyle and freely accept our belovedness as a child of the Heavenly Father. In Him there is life. End of quote. Again, when you read the bio on Manning's life, he understands the ways of the imposter because he himself lived as one much of his life. The key here of all this, though, friend, is that Manning is focused on ridding the self of the imposter. In the third chapter, Beloved, Starting on page 55, he writes, Several years ago, in the heyday of my imposture, I wrote a book review for a fellow imposter's first published work. I defended his prose style, saying, His floridities are merely profundity. Nevertheless, his unremitting gaseousness has an organic fluidity and turgescence difficult to duplicate and oddly purgative for the reader. Whew. I began a lecture on the 11th step of the AA program with a story about a man in a crisis who notices and eats a strawberry. I was emphasizing his ability to live in the present moment. When I launched into what I considered to be a dazzling explanation of the step, an interpretation filled with profound ontological, theological, and spiritual insights, later a woman approached the podium and said to me, I loved your story about the strawberry. We agreed that one humble strawberry had more power than all my pompous entities. The imposter's vocabulary abounds in puffy, colorless, and self-important words. Is it mere coincidence that the gospel lacks such self-conscious, empty language? The gospels contain no trace of junk words, jargon, or meaningful nonsense at all. Unharnessed and untamed, the imposter often sounds like a cross between William Faulkner and the Marx Brothers. His unctuous pronouncements and pontifications are a profusion of half-truths. Because he is the master of disguise, he can easily slip into feigned humility, the attentive listener, the witty raconteur, the intellectual heavy, or the urbane inhabitant of the global village. The false self is skilled at the controlled openness that scrupulously avoids any significant self-disclosure. The preacher on YouTube's speech and delivery reveals that he is an imposter. I'm not saying he's not a Christian or even has bad intentions, but he is an imposter. He is one who points on the wall to a fine work of art and points out all of its qualities when in fact God is wanting him to reveal the masterpiece that God is creating within him if in fact he knows Jesus. His words are predictable and cliche, external observations, but nothing offered from within. Friend, the art of preaching is the merger of the written, preserved, infallible word of God we call the Bible with the Holy Spirit of God who leads us into all truth, convicts us of all sin, leads us to repentance, and empowers us to change, to conform with the word and will of God, and also, friend, the life and heart of the preacher who speaks. Through him, these three things come together to communicate the gospel to others. The preacher I awaken to hear speaks from the false self, who is skilled at the controlled openness that scrupulously avoids any significant self-disclosure. The result, and this is the key point, Empty words that are a void of the gospel, so that there is no real life change among the listeners. People come into the church or meeting hall, they listen, say amen, preach it, brother, then walk out the back door to the same powerless, empty, troubled life that is impotent to impact change and transformation in themselves, 
much less the lives of others, resulting in what we now have today, folks, a seemingly hopeless, wicked culture. The decay that is America can be laid at the feet of the preachers and people who live guarded lives that are devoid of significant self-disclosure. Notice some signs that Manning gives that are telling. Number one, the imposter's vocabulary abounds in puffy, colorless, and self-important words. That means having an exaggerated sense of one's own value or importance. Number two, self-conscious, empty language, meaning feeling undue awareness of oneself, one's appearance, or one's actions, like a politician. Number three, junk words, jargon, or meaningful nonsense. Number four, unharnessed and untamed, the imposter often sounds like a cross between William Faulkner and the Marx Brothers. For those of you who do not know about Faulkner, Faulkner was a Nobel Prize winning author and one of the greatest authors of the 20th century. On the other end of the spectrum are the Marx Brothers, who were a successful zany comedy team made up of three brothers that starred in vaudeville, Broadway, and motion pictures from 1905 to 1949. Unctuous pronouncements of a person is speaking excessively, ungratiatingly, flatteringly, oily words. Pontifications, that means to express opinions or judgments in a dogmatic way. Number seven, a profusion of half-truths. And boy, this is profound. Manning says, because he is the master of disguise, he can easily slip into, listen to these things, feigned, that means made up, not real humility. He can easily slip into the attentive listener, like he really cares. He can easily slip into the witty raconteur, that means one who tells stories and anecdotes with skill and wit. He can easily slip into the heavy intellectual, or he can slip into the urbane, that means polished and elegant in a manner of style, suave, cosmopolitan the urbane inhabitant of the global village, the false self who is skilled at the controlled openness that scrupulously avoids any significant self-disclosure. Against this backdrop of this observable and knowable manipulation to withhold oneself, Manning points to silent solitude, alone before God, as the pivot point that leads a person back to a sensitive self-disclosure because the person reconnects with God's overwhelming love for them. Manning, on page 60, closes out this chapter talking about coming to the truth of us being loved in God, beloved. He writes, at every moment of our existence, God offers us this good news. Sadly, many of us continue to cultivate such an artificial identity that the liberating truth of our belovedness fails to break through. So we become grim, fearful, and legalistic. We hide our pettiness and wallow in guilt. We huff and puff to impress God, scramble for brownie points, thrash about trying to fix ourselves, and live the gospel in such a joyless fashion that it has little appeal to nominal Christians and unbelievers searching for truth. Does the portrait that Manny paints look like your preaching pastor? If so, pray for him that, number one, God would overwhelm him with his love, with God's love, and number two, access real solitude with God to jettison the imposter self. Perhaps as you become aware of this truth, it causes you to call into question the impact on your own spiritual health if you continue support for a preacher that isn't preaching from the overflow of time really spent with God, but instead regurgitating biblical truths, quips, and quotes anyone can really access from the internet. Friend, does this dossier given of the imposter reflect you in any way? We need to stop and take personal inventory. Every family member, friend, neighbor, and work associate can spot it if you are an imposter, 
holding back yourself from sensitive self-disclosure. The impact of your effectiveness to share the good news of Jesus is greatly hampered or advanced based on the honest conclusion where you stand with God and the people. The perfect Bible example of this is seen in the recorded episodes in the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ultimate example of the worst kind of spiritual imposter. They were imposters in their public persona, and they were spiritually dead in their inner core, their soul. To the unsuspecting eye, they were revered as spiritual giants who knew God better than the rest. Experts on God, yet Jesus said that they were a brood of vipers, whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. They were other father the devil. Christ, on the other hand, is our perfect example of one whose life is an open book, significant self-disclosure that reflects one who knows intimately the love of the Father. On the night he was betrayed in a time of great personal anguish, Jesus didn't hold back or try to cover up just how difficult the pressure was. His suffering was inside of his best friends on the earth. In Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. Friend, aren't you glad that Jesus lived the life of perfect self-disclosure that opened the doors up for us to have eternal life through him? And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.